Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we're discussing the Star Trek Prodigy Season 1 finale, Supernova. First of all, Merry Christmas, and I got you this Prodigy finale. <laughs> wow, what an amazing gift! You're Thank so you. welcome. I worked really hard on it. My Christmas was lovely. It went very nicely, low-key which mm. I appreciate this time of year. How about you? There was a lot of catching up and a lot of, oh, I haven't actually seen you guys, whom I love with my whole heart, in person for a few years. But yeah, it was nice. And it was weird to sit down in the airport and watch Supernova Part 1. <laughs> I will be honest, I mm. waited until yesterday to watch both parts. I think you made a good choice because I was like wandering around doing Christmas things, eating my sister's outstanding meringues and going, but will they be okay? And oh my God, the Universal Translator is the key to it all. (laughs) (laughs) I knew that we weren't recording until today, so I had no impetus to not just, you know, I I get the whole story at once. It works well for me. And it did. I mean, it's a seamless two-parter. I think we really made a good call doing these episodes together. I feel like it would almost cheapen some of the things that happened in the two halves Mm. if we weren't discussing them together. I agree. It felt like one long episode rather than two. Which, you know, you get from the title, so. Obviously. (laughs) So it's it's good. (laughs) But, you know, some two-parters do feel like two separate halves of the story and this felt like one cohesive story yes and it was great i loved it it was so good this whole finale reminded me a lot of discovery's first season finale in that the plot stuff wraps up in time to have some politics and some admiralty nonsense and generally putting things away and setting up new things for season two And I love that. You know, I think obviously Prodigy's version has much better pacing, but Mm -hmm. the Discovery version has Katrina Cornwell, so I'm calling it even. I didn't think of the Discovery finale until you pointed it out earlier, but I do absolutely see that. And I, I, you know, it even has parallels with them going in front of the panel of... Yeah. I still love that... Prodigy always brings out the the <laughs> Vulcan and Dorian Tellerite trio. <laughs> They're really like hammering it into us. That did you know that these are the people who started the Federation? <laughs> By the way, <laughs> I love that though because it is sort I love of it too. Enterprise, and especially its fourth season, is so much of an afterthought in the eyes of many fans. And yet, this idea that these were the founding members of the Federation just seems like it has always been there. It's been there since, like, you know, Journey to Babel and and early early TOS stories, and yet it hasn't been explored until Prodigy. (laughs) I know, I know, it's wild. Obviously, Enterprise, they were sort of trying to work that in, but they didn't get to do it in the way they wanted to do it. We didn't get the coming together part. We got like, hey, here's some Vulcans who are weird. And here's some Andorian stuff. Have you ever heard about Andorians? We never even got to the Tellarites. Right. That was like (laughs) one episode. And there wasn't any getting together and discussing and all of that, you know, political 
negotiation. Yeah. They just skipped over that entirely in the finale. But we are getting more of that in, and I will say they did do some of it in Discovery. Those races started showing up again, both in past Discovery and future Discovery. Mm. But Prodigy is really taking the time. And again, it's because it's looking at all of Star Trek and trying to diffuse it down into a little bit of beautiful storytelling for new viewers and children. Mm. And so they can take this big concept idea of founding members of the Federation and give us these really, like, they were hilarious oh, yeah. <laughs> in this episode. At the end of Supernova, I really enjoyed their pithy comments. <laughs> it's like, you're still bickering after all this time. It's perfect. And I think that's a sign of a healthy federation where people do still have their cultural norms and their disagreements. They're not totally homogenized. Mm-hmm. And I think that... The Living Construct's whole strategy really understands the Federation in a really clever way. It's not just communication is turned against them, but disabling the Universal Translator is genius. And then knowing that they would call in everybody and that every time that that shift got taken over, they would call in more people. Yeah. That was amazing. That is using the... Federation's fail-safes against themselves. It's like, wow. And also the instinct of every Starfleet officer to go to the rescue of an officer in trouble. Absolutely. For people who maybe didn't have that much close contact with the Federation, the Vonnegut really got them. (laughs) (laughs) They really understood. It's brilliant. I was like, wow, this is an amazing weapon. And so I like, you know... The idea of the living construct as a thing that thinks on its own, too, or that, like, mm. can have its own stuff. Like, it's intelligent. This, the yes. weapon was intelligent, and my belief is that the weapon was intelligent because the weapon was intelligent. <laughs> if that no, makes sense. It makes sense to me. And, you know, I've been on the, the living construct is a person train all along. But what if... The living construct could so easily turn the Federation against itself, not because the Vona Cut understand the Federation, but because the living construct has been sharing computer space with Hollow Janeway. Right. Or the protostar itself, or like, the living construct has learned more. Yes. That, that, it, that it was this weapon. You know, like, it took the feelings and desires of the Vona Cut. Mm. And then I was like, okay, how am I going to do that? And I'm going to learn everything I can about the Federation, mm. and then I'm going to use that to do it. I'm making that up, but that's my headcanon. No, no, I think it's great. It's like if the Black Widow program was for inanimate objects, which exactly I think is cool. And I am still sort of on the living construct is a person train. I know that the Protostar is destroyed. Rip Hollow Janeway. Excuse me. The Protostar was destroyed rip Paulo Janeway, and created time travel. That's what I was about to say. Therefore, <laughs> the living construct and Paulo Janeway could be anywhere. I just think that if Dr. Mabenga's daughter can be hanging out in a nebula, then the living construct and Paulo Janeway can be hanging out in the nebula or protostar that was created by... The destruction of the protostar. <laughs> Writing down fic idea. <laughs> Rukia and Holiday Way Adventures. Oh, thank you. 
welcome. <laughs> I saw a really interesting Tumblr post a few weeks ago about how, yes, everyone's complaining that the premiere looks like Star Wars, but when they finally get to the protostar and the universal translator comes online that's when it turns into star trek because the universal translator is the defining technology of star trek and it's also the technology which provides the foundation for the federation hoshi has created it in those episodes of enterprise where the federation is being formed and then here we see it's absolutely essential that it's in fact become a crutch that they are over-reliant upon. Amazing. Just the fact yeah. that Tysis couldn't speak to Janeway. Amazing. Yes. I was sitting here going, okay, but I, you know, have to choose a foreign language <laughs> in second grade. So how can you not know what I'm presuming is better standard i know it's like english but mm. let's pretend that it's federation standard standard is in the word is in the you know the name of it yeah i feel like it should be standard <laughs> to know it and i can't imagine specifically an andorian being like no mm. i'm not going to mm. that's beneath me I, i'm not going to learn that it's like okay maybe for tysis yes but it was a problem across all of the ships and so you're right to call it a crutch and i called it hubris yeah because you know you lose power doesn't that take out the universe's translator how can you just assume that it's always going to be working well, I, th I remember in DS9 we learned that the Ferengi have their translators implanted in their ears. I guess not the technology is not dependent on a power source because magic. But it's interesting to me. And again, like Tysus not speaking standard comes back to that thing again of each member of the Federation is not completely homogenized and they do have their own culture. But also mm -hmm. you do need a functional lingua franca. You know, we saw this also in season two of Discovery when the sphere makes the universal translator go haywire and Saru is like, am I the only person who's learned a second language? And <laughs> all due respect to the Federation, but you cannot constantly be relying on a convenient alien who really enjoys learning languages. Right. I just go back to like the, the Olympics are mm. in two languages. Yes. There's this understanding that if everybody doesn't understand this one, then maybe they can understand it. Like, there's a backup. And yes. so it's so funny to me. And if the Universal Translator exists, I mean, I've read many Star Trek novels, mm. and in at least two or three of them, they have an implanted thing that lets you learn Klingon right. immediately. I absolutely see it as something where they're like, well, we have this, so we don't need the implants. So we don't need... Mm. We don't need to put the it in behind our ear and we don't need to do all of these other things. And it was just very fun to give Gwyn her big moment. Yes, yes. And I was going to say that Starfleet officers being monolingual just brings us back to the Federation is America. But I actually yes. think that's unfair <laughs> because lots of Americans speak Spanish and have like very functional Spanish. And most Australians don't even have that. So. <laughs> there are... A lot more bilingual Americans than are discussed because they are, mm. they tend not to be the people in charge. Yeah, <laughs> they, yeah. It's absolutely fair to call the Federation America if you're thinking of, like, the government. Mm. Well, what <laughs> because... is Starfleet but the government? 
I, I'm guessing that it is below 20% of, like, Congress is yeah. bilingual. Yeah. <laughs> so. And, yeah, Gwyn's hero moment, she and Dahl trading off the captaincy, as we have always sort of assumed they would. It was great. It was fantastic. She has done so much harm as her father's daughter, and now she gets to use the skills she learned in that role for good and to save right. the Federation. The beautiful part is that the Federation is a force for good and chooses not to learn all of these languages, mm. where the prison <laughs> is obviously a force for evil, but Gwyn chose to, le- to learn or was required to learn all those languages in order to make it run. And now she can use those skills to save the Federation yeah. because, you know, they made the mistake of not doing that. So. Mm. And I think it brings us to her new role as Gwyn the Unifier. The Unifier is, is obviously a good title. Yes. But because of this whole communication is the theme of the whole series, mm. that it starts in that first episode and it goes all the way through to the end of this episode. And there are many points where the ability to have a heart-to-heart conversation mm. with each other is actually how the problem is solved. Yep. Throughout the series. So I'm sad that she's not like the communicator. That's true. But what does but communicating do but bring us together? Unify. Yeah. Or at least let us express our differences. And I'm disappointed that she's not joining Starfleet, but I do think that saving the Vonacart is a more important job, a higher priority. And who is to say she cannot join Starfleet later? Or. Right. Join the Fenris Rangers with Seven of Nine. Or, or I was going to say both. Yes. <laughs> or yes. just be elevated to, oh, okay, you're a lieutenant now. Like <laughs> many others that yeah, I could mention. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there are lots of paths to Starfleet. And I really enjoy the solution at the end of the episode where Starfleet is like, it's actually really unfair for us to just let you in. Also, Rock Talk is eight. But here is another solution, and they're enlisted officers. They're going to be like O'Brien. And they also were like, you make great arguments, Janeway. We <laughs> agree with you. Your entire responsibility. We want nothing to do with this. Yes. Good yes. job. You can keep them. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're putting these kids in the same box as the Marquis and the Borg you brought home. I mean, she's consistent. Yes. Janeway always collects strays. I've seen fix where Molly, her dog, is like this purebred, and I'm like, Janeway would never. Janeway nope. adopts. She doesn't shop. Absolutely. Aw, Molly. Molly. I had an Irish setter named Molly. Aww. That was my first dog. Oh, that's precious. It's, it's very sweet. Do you think it's season two because Murph is a person now? They can get a dog? Yes, they should definitely. <laughs> you know what? Archer got to bring his dog. Right, right. Mm. <laughs> and there's no reason why Janeway can't also bring her dog this time. And if I was Janeway, I would be like, look, I'm not leaving Earth without my dog ever again. <laughs> I saw a Tumblr post that was like Voyager AU where everything is the same, but Janeway has her dog on board. Yes. <laughs> Because then, like, Molly would have her puppies. And so season one ends with everyone getting a puppy. With a little puppy. That's so sweet. That's precious. 
I know. Puppies for everybody. Puppies for all. Rockhawk deserves puppies. That's exactly what I was about to say. (laughs) We have seen her try to get them multiple times. Elnort gets his cat, Rocktop gets her puppies, and then they hang out and they're friends. Perfection. Yes, yes, yes. Can we talk about Hollow Janeway fulfilling the dream of all Janeways everywhere and going out with her ship? (laughs) I didn't think of that. That is perfection. The second she said she could be copied, I was like, well, we know that wasn't possible with the Doctor. And she seems like an even bigger program. This is going to go badly. Oh my God, she gets to blow up with her ship. And I'm really sad because I feel like Holo Janeway never quite did fulfill her potential as a character who is distinct Mm -hmm. from Janeway herself. She was just starting to get there. Yeah, and and she was just barely on the cusp of self-actualization. And so I feel like that's an extra layer of tragedy for me. I'm still holding out for she's not dead. So, sorry, that's the train I'm going on. You know, any time a female character I like gets blown up in a terrible space accident, I am always here to bring her back, maybe with a little bit of body horror as a treat, which in this case is the living construct. This is me being me and not allowing things to end, but... They do have the little isolinear trick with her message, right? Yes. So, and they have the Hollow Janeway program. So if they merge the two together and then the kids work with her, she will become another version of that Janeway. Yes. Like there's a whole TOS episode where Uhura's entire memories are wiped and Chapel has to teach her how to read again. And then a week later... Uhura is fine and on the bridge and unharmed. So if they can do that with an actual person, we can definitely, <laughs> can definitely restore the Janeway hologram. And she won't be the same, but she'll still be there. Right. And she'll still be a version of Hollow Janeway. Because, I mean, t- the Doctor definitely got wiped and rebrought. Yes. And, and rebooted at least twice. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't exactly the same. I mean, you know, like, if we're, if we're going to Voyager, Harry Kim is from a different <laughs> universe. <laughs> He's not our Harry Kim! You know, copies of copies mm. is mm. a thing and, and is acceptable. It's just, you know, playing with the ideas of all of these alternate universes anyway. Chakotay is lost in an alternate universe. Right. And depending... When they rescue him, there could be a protostar and another Hollow Janeway oh my back on the board. I think that's unlikely. So, so many but... possibilities. Yeah, yeah. To... I haven't given up on Hollow Janeway. <laughs> if nothing else, there are definitely backups at Starfleet Command. Like, I can totally see Rock Talk downloading a copy and being like, okay, right. you don't know us, but... Right, exactly. And then mm. she'll like tell all the stories and it will, you know, they'll imprint. Mm. Mm. So Hala Janeway's sacrifice was very sad and very poignant mm-hmm. and clearly I haven't accepted it. But the part that really got me was when Murph was trying to interact mm. with the message as if it was a hologram. Mm. 
And I was, I was like this. I've never felt so many things for both Hollow Janeway and Murph. I know. Ever in this series. I know. This was the moment. It was so beautiful. It was this this tiny throwaway animation that <laughs> broke my heart. I wonder if that was in the script or if that was something the animators did. Right. There's no no way of knowing. Mm. It's just so perfect, though. Whoever decided to make that happen, <laughs> it was the perfect... Like, again, it's like on the side of the screen, your eyes don't even necessarily go there, but I was sobbing over Murph and how he couldn't he couldn't find Janeway anymore. I read this morning that the bit where the diviner's body dissolves and evaporates was a last minute addition because the director was like, hey, so we have all this stuff here and the diviner's body is just lying behind them on the bridge and that's probably going to be a bit disturbing for the kids. So... <laughs> amazing i know i like it because it adds depth to the vonicott yeah because of course they're going to be really upset about losing their planet and losing i mean they would be anyway mm-hmm. but the fact that they're it's like when vulcan blew up and and you lost all the katra as well as vulcan yeah it's like not only do you lose your planet and your people, but you also lose the possibility of those people because apparently when you die, your essence goes into your child. Your progeny. Yeah, and it also makes his desire to have a child make more sense. I mean, obviously mm. he wanted to have a child. You could Anybody could just want to have a child for whatever reason, but I love the idea that he wanted to have a child because he knew that that's how he was going to move forward, not just as his child, but also as him. Yeah. And his memories yeah. and his, like, vonicott this you know? Mm. Because it doesn't exist anymore, so the only way he can pass it on to his child is through his memories. Yeah. I saw a Tumblr post about this edition, and they were like, but what... How do the Vonicott's biochemistry work? They don't have any mourning rituals. And I'm like... Obviously, their morning rituals just look completely different to ours, and that's good. Right. That's good. Mm. It's hilarious to me when people start complaining about how the biochemistry of this alien species works. Right. And they do, they do it like, why are, are Vulcan, why do Vulcans bleed green? They have copper-placed blood. What does that mean? You know, copper is blah, 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 different from iron, and would that really work out this way? And it's like... Hello! (laughs) One, it's fiction. Two, if we met actual aliens, they would be completely different from us. Mm. We would have no basis for understanding how their biochemistry works. We would have to study it. Right. I feel like if Professor Muhammad Noor, an actual geneticist and biologist, can watch and enjoy Star Trek, then us lay people can also just get on with it without whinging. Which is not to say that we can't speculate about the wild and wacky possibilities, but simply going, this is different, so it's not going to work, just seems like shutting the conversation down. It seems like trying to be smarter than the source material. Yes, which, you know, we've all seen Enterprise, we've seen Strange New World. It's actually not hard, but you kind of do want to come and meet it 
at least try to meet it on its level. Complaining that there's weird bad science in the famously cheesy science fiction franchise just seems yeah, there's a, you said at the beginning that people were complaining that it looked too much like Star Wars mm. until the Universal Translator showed up. For one, I just, as an aside, when you said that, I was like, oh, 3PO is the Universal Translator. <laughs> and then I started laughing. <laughs> I've been laughing in my head for the past half hour about 3PO being the Universal Translator. 3PO was created by Anakin and the Universal Translator was created by Hoshi. So does this mean that Hoshi is... Anakin Skywalker? Apparently. Cool. In a large enough multiverse, that's where they line up. I mean, we've seen the Enterprise Mirror Universe two-parter. We know she has it in her. Your note here that the space cloud the protostar created is the most beautiful animation you've ever seen. I agree. I was going to say the same thing. If they put out a dress with that pattern on it, I would wear it. It danced. Yeah. It was just amazingly beautiful i i was blown away by how stunning it was to look at and how it made me feel i don't think there has been a single bad animation in this series but that was particularly lovely the colors and the movement it felt like a fitting tribute to hollow janeway and the proto star yes and i hope that they call that the janeway nebula and that it wasn't named after the Admiral is an interesting trivia point to trip people up at the pub. That would be amazing. Uh-huh. Perfection. You know, I, I talk about space clouds in Voyager all the time. There's like a space cloud of the week in Voyager. And so, again, like Janeway finally sacrificing herself, <laughs> she sacrificed herself to create a space cloud. And it's the most beautiful space cloud that ever existed. It's just it's such a tribute yeah to everything i love about this silly television series that is my it's like my family Mm. (laughs) but you know it's i have so much nostalgia for the series but i also acknowledge how loopy and silly and bad Mm. it can Mm. be Mm. that this beautiful series prodigy which is so much better written (laughs) so much better plotted and paced but still has that same nostalgia corny messy space cloud factor and and like voyager it even has a fairly ridiculous and convoluted time travel plot and unlike voyager it's not going to be a simple reset it can't be or else we'll lose gwyn so right Prodigy feels like the perfect sequel to Voyager in that it loves and respects the series so much and builds on it. And just as we do when we write fic, it's taking what it loves and making something better. In Supernova Part 1, they had the Bernari refugee. Mm. Another thing that made me cry because, you know, it's one of those, a callback, like, the universe is too small, things that people always complain about and I always love. But she's in Starfleet. Yeah, It's not just a Bernari refugee showing up. It's not the, hey, I heard the story of the Bernari refugees mm. and therefore mm. I, this is why I'm going to do this. But no, it was like, I was there. Yes. I was a little girl who you saved before you saved all these other kids. And 
like that was amazing. That was so she's in Starfleet. She got all the way from hiding in a transporter stasis field in the Delta Quadrant to being in Starfleet. And she clearly chose to seek them out, maybe with her family, maybe on her own, because of that experience. And it doesn't feel like a case of the universe is too small, because it's not like she's the first officer or a bridge officer. She is a random security kid. Maybe she went into security because she was in hiding with Tuvok. Right. And of course she's going to try to get on Janeway's ship. Oh, yeah. Like, why wouldn't she? So it all makes sense. And I and I like that. I love the Tuvok connection. Like, that makes it even more better. Mm. Can I just say that if there's no Tuvok in season two, I am going to flip a table. It won't be a big table, but I'm going to find one and I'm going to flip it. Uh, I still want Tuvok to be Gwyn's mentor when Gwen comes back. <laughs> I agree. I also think that Counterpoint, you know, Counterpoint is sort of there all through this season. We yes. have references to the Devore and we have Janeway listening to classical music, which is a big part of Counterpoint. And Counterpoint, which is actually my favourite Voyager episode, is an episode all about communication. It's about <laughs> exactly. Janeway stringing along a con man and turning the tables while they flirt and have a genuine emotional connection. And so, yeah, the connection with the Brunari refugee, it feels earned, not just yes. within Prodigy, but because Counterpoint itself is such a great episode. Yeah, I put it on my top ten list. Oh, yeah. And everything, again, you know, I... We say it every week, but the show is so smart and so good at taking those those little crumbs mm. and, and making a pie out of them. <laughs> it's it's just so special that mm. they they care about Star Trek and Voyager in specific as much as I do. <laughs> yes. Yes. And without being, you know, that they, they don't have to be super fans who complain about biochemistry, for example, mm-hmm. or warp speed, or, you know, would sit there saying, a ship can't run on a star. <laughs> so, I mean, people who work in animation, I said this when we were talking about like Spider-Verse and the holodeck episode, that they are allowed more imagination. Mm. They don't have to think about the real world at all because yeah, they're yeah. creating the real world for themselves. And so that magic of we're taking this beautiful thing that is Star Trek and we're creating a painting of it mm. that is Prodigy. And it's just, it's beautiful. It's art every week. Yeah, yeah. Which is not to say that Lower Decks is not also amazing and art, but the two animated series are doing such different things, overlapping things, but I really have a hard time comparing them. Lower Decks is so much its own thing in a really wonderful way, and Prodigy feels more like it's closer to the live action shows. Lower Decks is certainly thinks outside the box, like yes. every episode. Yes. Like they definitely take advantage of the medium of animation to do what they're doing. Yeah. Even when they're trying to be quote unquote realistic. <laughs> I did wonder with the kids becoming warrant officers 
or acting warrant officers at the end of the series, is season two going to be like a kid-friendly Lower Decks? Whoa, maybe. I mean, if the setting for season two is the same group of kids on a more conventional starship, then... Voyager. (laughs) Yes. So, I mean... Oh, you know, isn't Tuvok the captain of Voyager in things that I don't pay attention to, like maybe Star Trek Online or something like that? Yeah, I think it's some because of the novels. Because if so, or... yeah. if so, that's how we get Tuvok in. <laughs> I love that. Apparently one of the shuttles rescuing the kids' ship from the bay was marked as the Voyager A. And I wondered if the new Protostar-class ship would be the Voyager A. I don't know. I'm excited to I find out. Please. <laughs> whenever we get season two but i do love that the enterprise has gone from nx to f in 200 years and meanwhile it's not until the 32nd century that we have a voyager j like the enterprise needs to pace itself gonna run out of letters the the enterprise is very good at being destroyed They are going to be reporting directly to Janeway, which I Mm. I like that in season one, we have the kids learning about Starfleet from Hala Janeway. And then in season two, we have the the kids in Starfleet, like learning how Mm. to be in Starfleet from Captain Janeway. Like that, I really like that parallel progression. I was also thinking about Naomi Wildman as the captain's assistant in Voyager. And it would be pure fan wake, but I kind of want her to be the first officer or something. I realise that you can't just get the band back together at the slightest provocation. Like, even Star Trek Picard put it off for a couple of seasons. But at the same time, a rescue mission to save Chakotay and his crew. I cannot believe that Balana would not be all in. Yes. And Tuvok, mostly so that he can raise an eyebrow and look superior at Chakotay when they rescue him. Tom Paris, obviously. A, he has his own relationship with... Chicote, B, where Bolana goes, he goes. Unless he has to look after the kids or whatever. I don't want it to become Voyager Season 8, the way Star Trek Picard is becoming Next Generation Season 8, but I want to know that they're involved in mm-hmm. some capacity. That they're helping out in some way, yeah. I can see that. Picard, the series, really destroyed the Voyager family. You know, Echeb is dead, Seven is alienated, Janeway manages to get Dahl into Starfleet, but not Seven of Nine. It just... It it just... Was, this was her do-over. <laughs> she needed a do-over. Yeah. I said that they gave Janeway all five orphans, <laughs> which, which they did. But in, in Dahl specifically, he's the one, because the others, they were like, you know, fine. They, they can get into Starfleet eventually. Yeah. But Dahl was a problem, mm. and Janeway really went to bat for him, and I feel like they're saying, we didn't give you your Borg. Mm. <laughs> We're going to give you this because you're right. He's clearly not a huge threat <laughs> the way he is. And maybe with discipline and, like, your tutelage, he'll actually become, you know, mm. we'll give that to you. He's yeah. not going to take over the ship. <laughs> So it's going to be okay. I saw a Tumblr post a few weeks ago, and I'm sorry to keep prefacing every sentence with that, but I've spent a lot of time on Tumblr. But it was basically arguing that the Federation ban on augments was right and correct. And I agree, but I also think that banning people who have been augmented against their will or without their consent is just terribly unfair. 
Which is both Dahl and Seven. Yes. And the question, does this person's augmentations give them an unfair advantage over everyone else is, I think, the key, the key point. Or can they be used as a weapon against the Federation? Right, right. I don't really want to get into does this person's augmentations give them an unfair advantage over everyone because what's unfair if mm-hmm. Una's given herself super intelligence and she uses that to save her crew, is that an unfair advantage or is that... Okay. Mm-hmm. Look at the Vulcans. They are an unfair advantage over a human, right? Right, like, right, right. In every way. And so this idea that, like, there are ethical questions and moral questions mm. about augmentation, but I don't think that the the augmentation itself is unethical. Like, the idea of bettering yourself mm. in the way that specifically Una does because you know if she's if she now she's as smart as Spock okay she's as smart as Spock Spock is also smart mm. like mm. it just seems like this weird I don't know and as far as like seven Picard destroyed it, the entire fleet yep we were there Picard did Wolf 359 and yet a week later a week later he's captain of the enterprise mm, mm. still <laughs> so this idea that seven who was assimilated as a seven-year-old and de-assimilated as an adult and this same federation that just doesn't even care <laughs> that picard mm, is mm. a loose cannon and yet won't let seven in and then doll who's even more innocent and even more like, no one can even really say what he is or what his augments. His augmentations do nothing, as far as I can tell. You need weird geneticist lady yeah, to yeah. activate him in order for any of that to happen. Right, He's without just, that he just seems like a clever teenage boy. Yeah, a little purple dude. Yeah. Like, I find it interesting that Una is an alien who is augmented to look human and Dahl is a human who is augmented and looks alien. I feel like yeah. they should hang out. And I feel, I feel like, like they should hang out too. I feel like it's really hard to reach a conclusion on this subject when Una's story remains unfinished. Except, except that we know that nothing can change in Starfleet because Julian Bashir and Dahl still have to fight for their right to be part of the organisation. <laughs> okay, so Una... Julian and Dahl can, and you know, hey Seven, why not? Can be at Augments Anonymous. Also, also, Ash Tyler. Ash Tyler! Oh, poor baby. I miss him. It makes sense to me on a world building level that the Federation is really inconsistent in how it applies this <laughs> bigotry. But it's interesting and depressing that. It never seems to get better. Well, they did let Dahl go and be part of Jamie's crew. That's so true. That's true. He, get, he gets to wear his little uniform. Mm-hmm. I am sure, by the way, that Gwyn is going to come back and eventually join Starfleet because her outfit in her final scene looks like a Starfleet uniform, but with her heirloom. Yes. Mm. Which is 
Beautiful. Good, good fashion choices, Gwyn. Is it time to talk about OTP cat boots? Oh my god. Oh my god. When they kissed last week, I was like, oh my god, they're literally hitting the Katang beats from Avatar. And then this week they did something new and I really like it. Just that they're a little bit doomed, but I think they're going to work it out. Their last heart-to-heart and, and kiss scene and where they're like, we're going to see each other again. It's going to be okay. So <sighs> It was a echo of the starlight scene mm. in second or third episode. And... I mean, that was on purpose, first of all. Yes, yes. <laughs> if you go back to the episode that we did on that episode, <laughs> I talked about this then. Yes. And I just want everyone to know that I was not crazy. <laughs> I've been shipping this since episode one during their little, like, table mm. meeting when he was still a prisoner, and but he was also her only friend. <sighs> I had been shipping it since then, and it was obvious in that episode where they were watching space in the dark, Mm -hmm. and I'm so happy. They're perfect. Yes. I love that they are mature enough to understand that there are bigger things than their romance, that they both have their duty to themselves and to their people, and to their friends. I think that's maybe improbably mature for a couple of teenagers, but I am always, always into ships where they are willing to give each other up for the greater good, especially if it's temporary. They're teenagers, but they're teenagers whose pretty much entire lives have been trauma. Yeah. Until really this past year where they actually got to do some things mm. that were happy and mm. joyful and they mm. got to make friends and create a found family and learn about something that was greater than them, the witches mm. starfleet in the Federation. And now they are invited to be a part of it. And so, yes, they're young, but they've been through a lot and I can imagine them going through a big maturity arc just in that year. Absolutely. Getting out of trauma and getting mm. to really learn who they are. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's why the relationship took the whole year to develop, even though it was obvious in the first scene, <laughs> because they had to know who they were before they mm. could know who they were together. And they had to have agency. Even though their time on the proto star was often difficult and dangerous and scary, they had choices and they were able to make choices that made real impact on their lives and other lives. And I think they needed that experience before they could do anything else. And I just want to, I agree with everything you said about both loving a relationship where they're willing to put it on the back burner for something more important. But also that Dahl makes that decision too. Yes. It's obviously Gwyn is making the decision to, I, you know, I, mm. I can be this person for my father and my people, and I can be exactly what I was supposed to be and take the communication skills that I learned through all of this and bring it to my people and maybe I can save all of us. And obviously you have to try. I mean, that's a very chosen one. Yes. <laughs> Hero's journey. She's going out into into the 
the world on her quest, it's happening for her. It all makes sense. But the fact that Dahl never said, well, I can go with you. Yeah. Yeah. Is so good. That yes. he understood that she needed to do it herself. And that Janeway fought to get him into Starfleet. So he, he belongs here. Yes. This is where he's yes. supposed to be. And, and also, in their friends' minds, he's still the captain. And right, he can't, what, he can't leave them. Yeah, he's their leader. And Gwyn is the one who can safely go off on her own. I love their relationship. Mm. I loved their last scene. I loved both their spontaneous kiss and their we're actually kissing kiss. Yeah. <laughs> it was all exactly what I always want. So great. My last <laughs> remark before we wrap up is that I know we said that we didn't want Zero to just be given a new encounter suit by Starfleet, but actually I kind of like that they were. It was like Starfleet going, you're one of us now. We yes. we will envelope you in our technology so that you can keep exploring the world. But also, they look like an iPod. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think they look like a stormtrooper. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. If... The 501st, if people in the 501st wanted to, like, pivot and do Zero cosplay, that would be cute. It would be so cute. Mm -hmm. Not that we have any cons to go to, but if we ever get one back, <laughs> I have a, I still have a couple, you know, a, a year or a year and a half-ish yeah. to create something amazing yeah. for... <laughs> zero mm. using 501st technology. I reckon if you get the, the right 501st group too, they'd be really keen to help build it. Yes, like absolutely. They, they seem like the kind of cosplayers who relish a challenge like that. The lighting up, you know, yeah. lighting up. I mean, this is, this is something that should happen. Mm. Mm. Anyway. Anyway, I think, I think that's it. I really enjoyed this season. I'm really glad that we have a second season. And I really do hope that we see the kids pop up in live action somewhere. I think certainly the actors could do it. And I want to integrate them into the wider Star Trek universe because I feel like a lot of fans are sleeping on Prodigy and they're really missing out. I mean, it's, it's the same thing as with Rebels. Yes. Sometimes have to beg people to watch Rebels and it's like, it's canon and there are important things. Yeah. <laughs> and also Tom Baker is a space turtle. People wanted Darth Maul to be in Kenobi and it's like, no, <laughs> go watch Rebels. <laughs> Feel that same way. And, you know, Ahsoka is in live action. Yeah. Hera is in live action. It's happening mm. <laughs> over there in the Star Wars land. So... I think that they should take a page from that and not, I mean, keep making Prodigy forever because it's beautiful. Absolutely. But I would love, I mean, Dahl is my purple son and I, and I adore him mm -hmm. and I would love to see him pop up, you know, if they were going to make this Star Trek Janeway or whatever, it's like, don't leave these kids behind. Right, exactly. But also I would love to see Zero in Lower Decks because I think Zero and Tendi would be really fun together. I think Zero should definitely visit Lower Decks. Absolutely. Also, how long do Medusans live? Zero could be in Discovery. <laughs> Zero, 
<laughs> yeah, who knows? Who knows what happens? Mm-hmm. You don't know anything about any of these. Mm-hmm. And now they have a tiny, whiny wormhole that Yay. they can all go through whenever they want. Maybe Discovery can come back here. <laughs> oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I was just thinking, all through Voyager, time travel is Janeway's least favourite thing and she keeps getting sucked up in it. So how does Hollow Janeway go out? She creates a time travel <laughs> thing. I mean, about it. Yeah. There are so many layers to that one sacrifice. It's amazing. Do you know what? Hollow Janeway's sacrifice is the opposite of Katrina Cornwell's. It's right. poignant. It serves multiple purposes. It is the culmination of a character arc and it will have an ongoing impact on the series. That is how you blow up a character. Yes, exactly. But also, Wait. she's not dead. Take notes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Antimatterpod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.com, including links to our social media, credits for our theme music, and transcripts of our episodes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, and Instagram, all at Antimatterpod, and write to us at mail at antimatterpod.com. Also, if you found us via my Mastodon tweet or toot, hi, it's so nice to have you. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us in two weeks when we'll be discussing depictions of depression in Star Trek and Annika gets to get her thesis out. Yay! (laughs) 